0: I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real, too. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And I'm excited you are listening in for Season 5, where from here on out, we hope to start off each month with a different young woman sharing her faith story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and faith. And so this month, our first episode introduced my friend and former co-host, Mariah. Mariah and I had a discussion about what's changed in her life since first appearing on this podcast of June of last year and... It was a lot. (laughs) We talked about some significant life changes, including relocating, a new romantic relationship, and a newfound faith. Um, And the fact that she's been baptized into the Mormon Church, or the LDS Church, I think is uh, what they're calling it these days. She had some great questions about that. Um, And so if you haven't already, I highly recommend you go and check out that first episode with Mariah and hear her story. You can also check out those episodes from June of last year. Um, you could also hear last week's episode with our guest Alex Earls as she shared some of her story as a young woman serving Jesus and engaging the Mormon community. Uh, we'll put links to those episodes in the show notes. And you can find that over at findingsomethingreal.com, along with other things like free resources and an occasional blog post, very occasional, how you can get more <laughs> involved in this program and ways to connect. All of that can be found over there, findingsomethingreal.com. If you like this podcast, I would love to hear from you. Mariah, it's just after 6.30 a.m. and you're here. I'm so glad you made
1: it. I'm happy to be here. It gives me an excuse to wake up early. I've been trying to get better at that because I find that my days are typically better when I wake up early.
0: So. Well, I mean, you were here at 6 a.m. Was it Monday for a recording that we did with Micah Wilder, which will air next so. week? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I was I was shocked and surprised then. And then you had told me that you probably would make it here today. But then I got an email from our guest today, uh, yesterday, just saying, hey, is she going to be there? I'd really like for her to be there. And I thought that was so cool. So I confirmed with you. You're like, yeah, I'm going to be there. And um, it's just really special. So today we have a very special returning guest. Lindsay Medenwald is Director of Ministry Operations at Mama Bear Apologetics, where she's the resident Worldview and World Religion Specialist. She has a master's degree in apologetics and ethics from Denver Seminary, as well as a master's in public administration and a law degree. She's also a full-time children's pastor. You're going to have to tell me later how you do all these things. An editor and writer for the Christian Research Journal and a member of the Pelican Project. Mm -hmm. She recently contributed a chapter about the Jehovah Witnesses to the Harvest House Popular Handbook of World Religions that was published in March 2021. Lindsay and her husband, Jay, who is also an apologist, have been married for 14 years. They have three daughters and live in Texas. In her spare time, she loves watching British reality television, especially the Great British Baking Show, and she's an avid reader. Jay and Lindsay have an at-home library of more than 2,000 books, which is just splendid. Welcome back, Lindsay.
2: I I am so happy to be here.
0: (laughs) Uh, every time I read that that you have a library of over two thousand books, I just feel a special affinity to you because I love to read. But I, I think it
2: might can't. be closer to twenty five hundred now. <laughs> you just keep keep getting them and oh just, hmm, keep acquiring. You're a woman probably... after my own heart.
0: I keep acquiring too, but then I don't actually read all of them. It's the problem. Like I just that is the problem. Yeah.
2: yeah, I mean that's a that's the eternal problem for me. Is and and I will. Probably die one day not having read many of the books in my collection, but maybe somebody will read them for me.
0: (laughs) Uh, What are some of your favorite reads that you've read in the last few months?
2: I just finished um, a nonfiction book um, by John Green, who is more known for his really sappy, sad books like Fault in Our Stars and um, Turtles All the Way Down, which is actually kind of an autobiography for him written in a fiction form. Um, uh, I've always avoided him. But because of the pandemic, <laughs> I know I, I, I wrote this in the review on Goodreads. I've literally always avoided him because I don't like authors who make me cry. It's why I don't read Nicholas Sparks. Like, I just know that they're going to make me sad and I don't want to do that. Um, but because of the pandemic, I started watching um, one of John Green's podcasts uh, of, called Vlog Brothers on YouTube. This is not a promo for John Green, but this is what I just read. <laughs> um, and he basically writes a four-minute letter to his brother, Hank. Um, and then Hank responds with a four-minute letter later in the week, and they just go back and forth on things they're thinking about and whatnot. Um, and so his he, he was promoing his book, um, which is called The Anthropocene Reviewed, which just means um, all the things in the world reviewed. Um, and so he took the five-star rating and he applied it to things that he's experienced in his life. So he reviews Canadian geese, um, he reviews um, Indianapolis. This is where he lives. Um, he, I mean, he just spends time writing and, and, and in the intro, I cried. I'm sitting at a pool <laughs> in Las Vegas and I'm, I'm reading the intro and I'm sobbing. <laughs> I'm like, this is not what I wanted to happen with this book. Um, but I persisted and it's beautiful. And I'm recommending it to everyone because it just allows you to look at the world in a way that oftentimes we miss. Mm. Um, and we miss the beauty in, in so many things because we're just go, 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 go. And reading this book has allowed me to say, oh yeah, geese are weird. I like geese, but they're weird. And in, in, and acknowledging why they're weird <laughs> um, and and just seeing God's beauty really is in, in John is a Christian. Um, <clears throat> and so just reading, reading, it has allowed me to think differently about the world and the people in it, which has been fun. Wow. So yeah. what's it called again? The Anthropocene reviewed, oh. um, he wrote it during, um, the quarantine, like he started working on it during the initial quarantine a couple of years ago. And, um, and, uh, it's, I actually have a signed copy because I don't know if you know this, but he signs um, 100,000 copies of each of the books he writes. Um, He gets a stack of papers um, sent to his house from the publisher, and then he sends those back after he signed them, and they get inserted in the books. And so I was one of the first ones to get a copy, and I have a signed copy, which is really fun.
0: Well, I'd like to see Mama Bear Apologetics start doing something like that with all the books that you're starting (laughs) to. I'll drop a line.
2: I'll (laughs) drop a line to Hill. (laughs) So
0: you guys just released a new book, didn't you? Yeah,
2: the Mama Bear's Guide to uh, Biblical Sexuality. Um, That went, it's really weird to say it's come out. I mean, really was written during the the heat of the pandemic. Um, Amy and Hillary met and and they did all their research and they um, spent a lot of time developing it. And um, it was released in October of last year. It's done really well. Um, And the idea behind it is really um, countercultural. Um, and, and taking what culture tells us about sex and sexuality and um, helping parents respond to some of those things that their kids are seeing, um, whether it's on uh, television or in movies, uh, YouTube, um, or at school or even at church. Um, and some of the things that um, they're, they're viewing and how to answer their questions about that. Yeah. So for
0: someone listening who's not familiar with Mama Bear Apologetics and your ministry, would you share a little bit more? I I know that it's geared towards moms and people who love uh, the younger generation, but Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear more about your ministry.
2: Sure. So in 2015, Mama Bear Apologetics was born. Uh, Hillary had uh, Hillary Morgan Ferrer. She is um, our Mama Bear in Chief. Uh, She had a, 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 she really felt like God was calling her to develop and create a ministry that reached specifically out to moms because there really wasn't um, an apologetics ministry that did that. Um, for those who are unfamiliar, apologetics is the defense of faith. Um, It it isn't necessarily only the Christian faith, but um, I am a Christian apologist because I am a Christian. Um, And so I speak specifically about defending the truth claims of Christianity. Uh, But there are Muslim um, uh, apologists. There are uh, Latter-day Saint apologists. um, And so there are apologists across the spectrum. But to bottom line you, it is just simply defending something. Um, Think of an attorney doing their work. Um, But Mama Bear apologetics. Uh, started with a podcast because busy moms don't really have a lot of time to sit down and read a lot, uh, we found. And so we have a podcast. We also have a blog, um, but we keep our blogs, except for mine. We keep them very short. <laughs> I always <laughs> think the, the rules. Hillary's like, try to keep it to 1400 words. And I'm like, it's 3000. Okay. <laughs> That's um, a lot. I'm terrible. I'm terrible. Um, but uh, we also have somebody on staff who reads articles for us because, um, again, busy moms. And so maybe you're vacuuming the floor and you want to listen to something. Um, you can pop on the article and we'll read it to you um, so that you don't have to sit and read it um, yourself. Um, but that's really what we do. Um, we are trying to equip parents. Um, It's not just moms. We are called Mama Bear Apologetics, but we have a lot of Papa Bears. Um, We have a lot of grandparents who follow us, um, equipping them so that they can um, equip their kids or the kids in their lives. Um, They don't even have to be mothers. Um, Hillary is not a mom. Uh, She has no children. Um, And uh, she's she's uh, kind of like a mom to all the all the kids. Um, And it's just a beautiful a ministry that I'm honored to be a part of. I've been here for three years and uh, it's been uh, sometimes a whirlwind and <laughs> sometimes just crazy. It's ministry, um, but it's been uh, overall just a joy to participate um, and help people.
0: What's been the best part about being part of that ministry? Because I know uh, just having had Hillary and you on here before and following your ministry from you know afar, uh, it's got to be tough. It's got to be tough uh, going against the cultural uh, push, different direction. I mean, you just mentioned that the newest book that you, that came out was about sexuality. That's a major hot topic. In fact, you know, Mariah and I talked about that last June quite a bit. Um, and, and we had great conversations, but it doesn't mean that it's not controversial or that there's a lot of cultural narrative going the opposite direction, which can sometimes feel very overwhelming so tell me a little bit more about that and the best part of what you're doing
2: yeah i think it's when we see people have an aha moment that they can do this um so uh, for me that was a a transformative moment in my own life i've been a christian since i was five um and i was raised um, in a christian home uh, to christian parents who were missionaries and my dad's a pastor um and I still had, I wouldn't call it a crisis of faith, but I had doubts um, and um, it was, uh, I, I didn't know apologetics. And so uh, I sort of had to deal with that on my own. Um, but when I was in seminary, I actually had my aha moment, uh, which is is really um, kind of funny that it happened to me in seminary. I was 35 years old, <laughs> been a Christian for 30 years, and um, I realized that I couldn't tell someone. Why I was a Christian mm. um, and not being able to answer that question was just really awful for me, which is one of the reasons why I love this podcast, Chanel, because it allows people to really think about why they're going to believe whatever it is they're going to believe um, rather than just um, believing it because somebody told them they should believe it. Um, like parents often do. Um, and so my aha moment was really transformational for me. Um, it, it, it allowed me to realize that God maybe wanted me to do more with my seminary degree than just have conversations with my husband about it. Um, and, uh, the best part of that is seeing moms and dads realize that it doesn't have to be above their heads. Um, apologetics is a scary word, but once you boil it down to what it is we're doing and, um, and why we're doing it and equipping them with answers to know that what they believe is actually true. And that they shouldn't approach questions with fear, um, these questions are not new. I'm sorry, Mariah, your questions are not that original. Um, these questions (laughs) have been asked and, and it's beautiful because it makes, it makes us realize like we've been grappling with things for forever as humans and, and, and being able to answer these questions and, and, and even tackle them. Um, I always tell my kids at church, um, uh, cause I am a kid's pastor. I'm always telling them, is it okay to ask questions? And they always respond, yes, it's great to ask questions. And I want them to be able to know that it is okay to doubt and to have wondering fears about what might be true, because um, at the end of the day, if, if you haven't grappled with those things, it, what is your faith even in? Um, And so I would say just watching people develop this moment of, I can do this. I can understand this and I can help my kids understand this. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's just a beautiful thing. This idea of discipleship and mentoring um, in their own homes, which is something that um, I think a lot of parents are afraid of, like, what if I say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing? Um, and, and one of the things mama bear really tries to do is break down that barrier of fear. Like, no, you don't need to be afraid of this. This is, and it's okay to say, I don't know. And that's the other thing. I mean, you might get an, I don't know today um, and, and be prepared for that Mariah, because <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know all the answers to every question that you might be grappling with. Um, It's one of the reasons why other people are going to come talk. I mean, you already had Micah. I'm not sure what else I can add to the conversation (laughs) at this point, Um, but um, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of this journey that you're on Mariah. And, and even after this podcast ends, like I'm, I'm willing to be um, someone that you can reach out to anytime you want about anything, um, whether we talk about it today or not. Even if it's just about sorority life, I'm happy to answer those questions.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they bonded over
2: sorority. (laughs) Uh, Well,
0: Lindsay, I love that. I think, you know, I have a good friend, Janelle Davis, who loves your guys' ministry, and she has a very similar passion, uh, just discipling, um, you know, parents and kids. And we've talked many times about what you guys are doing and how how special it is and how necessary. Mm -hmm. If people want to know more about your ministry, um, before we dive into some of Mariah's questions here, where can they find
2: you? mama bear It's the easiest thing. We're also all over social media, not so frequently posting on Twitter, but we do post regularly on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and we also have a YouTube channel. Um, so you can find us on YouTube as well. Great.
0: And it's mama M a M a.
2: Yes. Mama M a M a. Sorry. Yes. I guess I, People yes. just Mama bear yeah. <laughs> is all one word mama bear. And then apologetics um, AP dot com. <laughs>
0: Perfect. Well, Lindsay, I'm glad mm-hmm. you're here because last time you were on the podcast, you were here with my co-host, Doc Marr, from the Netherlands. We had some really uh, awesome uh, topics that we covered, including about Jehovah Witnesses. But today, um, you know that Mariah has some questions about Mormon faith mm-hmm. and differentiating, th- differentiating that from what I guess you would call mainstream Christianity. Um, so I know Mariah could ask some specific questions, um, and kind of dive deep into, uh, you know, sin, heaven, and hell, and the prophets, and I'm sure we'll get to that, or we might, uh, kind of skim those issues, but I'm wondering, uh, before we begin, this is something that, um, I, I talked with Alex a little bit, uh, last week on the podcast. We, we talked a little bit with Micah, that's the episode that's going to come out after this one, um, but you are an apologist. And I think that this question is for you. Um, what do you see as the differences between Mormonism and Christianity?
2: Mm. Yeah, I, I think that this is, is the question. Uh, if we're, if we're going to boil it down to anything, I mean, this is, this is the one um, I do. I have a cat and she's playing with the cord right now. So if she, <laughs> sorry, I'm, get I'm my not water. sure what she's going to do, but she's being a cat right now. Um, but First, I want to address, I will not be using the word Mormon unless I'm referring to the Book of Mormon. Um, so in 2018, uh, Russell Nelson, who is the current president of um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, had a revelation that they are no longer going to be calling themselves Mormons. Um, and out of respect of, of that decision, um, I will refer to um, either you as either a Latter-day Saint um, or the LDS um, acronym, which has also been approved by the church, um, but just so everybody knows, it's not the Mormon Tabernacle Choir anymore. Um, it, I mean, we've really just purged the word Mormon out of out of most things with the Latter Day Saints, um, and so uh, moving forward, I will use LDS or Latter Day Saint. Um, I might slip occasionally because most of and and. Okay, oh, I'm totally going to slip. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Many of my LDS friends slip too. So it's not just me um, and uh, I will give it my best go. But I want people to be aware of why I'm using LDS and not um, Mormon. I wouldn't say that it's considered derogatory. It doesn't go to that extent, um, but it's not preferred. And so I'm, I'm going to go with what uh, the Latter-day Saints call themselves out of respect for the Latter-day Saints. Um, so um, LDS. Uh, Mariah, I have a question for you before we dive in. Um, can you tell me anything about, um, the Latter-day Saint history and how it came about?
1: Um, so, uh, well, cause there's like book history and then there's a history of like what's taught. <laughs> um, so basically what's kind of taught is, um, Joseph Smith as a 14 year old, Um, was deciding which church to go to and which one is true and so he prays about it and essentially is um, told that none of these are true Mm -hmm. and that there's um, portions of the bible missing and that those portions have the truth and so he goes about and creates this church um, which is mostly his family members because no one believes him as a 14 year old (laughs) Um, and then he transcribes things that he shouldn't have been able to because he's not very literate as a 14 year old and then it just kind of flows down from there um the book of Mormon itself was written in between the old testament and the new testament and it's kind of where it's from is talked about in the bible but not very like distinctly so it comes from um I don't know what they're called in the Bible, but, like, the plates of, um, because there's plates of Nephi, I think, and then there's some other ones. Okay. And they're all kind of talked about in the Bible, and essentially whatever was transcribed on those is what is transcribed in the Book of Mormon, and the Book of Mormon is kind of similar to the Bible in the way that it's structured as um, prophesying of the coming of Jesus and then, like, other parables in it. Like, I think there's a whole chapter that's literally about um, something that Jesus said in a single verse. <laughs> and it's literally talking about like an olive tree and how a good tree bears bad fruit. And then or a good tree can only bear good fruit and a bad tree can only bear bad fruit. So like some things line up in that sense. But
2: mm-hmm. that's pretty much how I've got it too. Um <clears throat> So uh, for those of us who are listening and don't have a real good background on what Um, the LDS history is. So in 1820, 14-year-old Joseph Smith is confronted by all of these denominations that seem to be cropping up. um, And uh, he lives in the Northeast um, uh, United States. This is in the United States. Um, And he asked God to tell him which denomination he should join. Um, And he said that he was alone and had um, a vision of two figures who visited him, um, and later said that those two visitors were God and Jesus, um, who visited him and told him that all of the denominations were an abomination, um, and that he would reveal the true denomination or the true religion to, to Joseph. Um, three years later in 18, uh, 23, uh, Joseph had, um, a visit from an angel, an angel called Moroni, and, um, he revealed to him that he would find uh, some plates and so he told him where to find these golden plates. Uh, There were several visits. Um, Eventually he was able to grab the plates um, and on these plates uh, was what Joseph Smith later referred to as um, ancient reformed Egyptian uh, language, um, which he was able to translate by putting a seer stone in his hat um, and looking into the hat um, and being able to translate what was on those plates. Um, He had Somebody help him transcribe what was on those plates into English, um, and that eventually became what we know as the Book of Mormon, which was published first in 1830. I think that's correct. I could have the date wrong. But um, all of that to say, that's kind of the general history of um, the Latter-day Saints and how um, they came about. The same year that he published the Book of Mormon is the year that the church was formed. Um, and eventually, they began um, their venture west. They ended up in Missouri. Um, and and uh, after Joseph Smith was killed, um, he, Brigham Young moved the rest of their tribe, I guess you would say most of their tribe, uh, out to Utah, um, which is why they are in Utah, Um, and, uh, that is where the main temple, uh, Salt Lake city is located, um, currently undergoing renovations, which should be done in about two and a half years. Um, Mm -hmm. see you at the grand opening. Um, (laughs) and it, it is kind of the hub of where things operate for today's church. It is where the president is located. Um, Russell Nelson, that's where he lives. It's where his associates live. He is a first and second it's the presidency um, who are beside him. And then you've got, um, I'm just giving you the basic structure so you understand. So then you've got the quorum of the 12, which is the 12 um, apostles of the church. It's it's kind of formed after the 12 apostles of Jesus. And then you've got the 70 underneath them. And then you've got a whole church underneath that. Um, and it sort of trickles down if you can imagine an orga- organizational chart. Um, and, and everything comes from, Salt Lake City, as far as church doctrine and church revelation, um, and those who are in the 70 and above are considered seers and revelators and um, prophets, uh, depending on where they are located in that chart. Does that sound about right to you, Mariah, in in your Mm -hmm. understanding of how your church is organized? Mm -hmm. Great. Okay, so I say all of that to say, that um your structure is a little bit different than christian than orthodox christianity and mainstream christianity we um un- unless we're talking about catholicism which we are not um we don't tend to have um stake presidents for example um mm-hmm. one of the things i love about the way that the latter-day saints are structured and i think that you have figured this one out mariah for yourself in listening to your own testimony um people who are Latter-day Saints, go to the ward that is closest to their neighborhood. So it's closer to their homes. And so they are truly living in community with those that they worship with on Sundays or whatever other days that they are at the ward. Oftentimes, wards are shared by multiple groups. Um, so they will share the time. Uh, they will spread out the time. It just depends. Um, so that building is actually used for for multiple um groups that come in, uh, congregations, I guess we could call them. Um, and, and I just think that that is beautiful. We when when we moved to Texas um, a few years ago, my husband and I were committed to attending a church that was in our area. and so we literally just looked down the street and we said, oh that's a church. Let's go see if it's biblically sound. That was the first question. It's biblically sound. we don't have any major red flags. This is where we're going to put our, ourselves in. Um, and we can walk to church. It's that close, right? So um, I love that that is true for you, Mariah. I love that that is, it's a community um, and, I, and I love how it is structured that way because we are truly doing life with people who um, are like us and believe the way that we do. Um, it is not typically how mainstream Christianity is. And I, I mean, I know of people who drive 45 minutes to go to church. Um, so I know that that happens um, pretty frequently. Um, and and I'm not knocking that, but I do think that there's acknowledgement of beauty in the way that the Latter-day Saints do church. Um I think it's I think it's lovely. Um, let's talk about holy books. So can you tell me the holy books of the Latter-day Saints, Mariah?
1: So there's the Book of Mormon and then the Pearl of Great Price, and then Doctrine and Covenants are like the three. And,
2: and the then- Bible. The- right. Yeah. Okay
1: think of specifically LDS it's those three Mm -hmm. and then the Bible which is kind of like and which version of the Bible do you use um I have the English Gen version and also King James which is this one
2: so okay all right so so typically Latter-day Saints will use the King James version of the Bible um and uh and then they will include uh so I've got I've got all three in one of, okay, okay, um, so I've got the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price, all in a single book. Um, I actually have one that has the King James version attached to it as well, um, but that's just a big honking thing, and it's at my office, Um, (laughs) but I actually own, at last count, 11 copies of the Book of Mormon, Um, and, um, and that's a lot. (laughs) I first read it all the way through when I was in college. Um, so I want you to know that I have read the book of Mormon. Um, I have never been a Latter-day Saint and you will, um, I have never been a Latter-day Saint. Um, I have been approached by many Latter-day Saints. I have attended, um, services, um, at the ward. Um, in fact, at seminary, I, I went to a ward in my neighborhood, um, for a service, Um, And um, I I just want you to know that my history with the Latter-day Saints is not like Micah's, for example. I was never in it, um, and um, I never converted or deconverted. I am simply approaching this more um, as someone who is a scholar, I guess. That's a weird word to use, but somebody who has studied the worldview pretty extensively um, and has also known many LDS members in my life. Um, and and, and I, I have many friends who are Latter-day Saints. Um, and so I just have a, a deep love for, for humans. And uh, I just happen to have friends who are Latter-day Saints. Um, so the Book of Mormon, we've already talked about. Um, I, I wanna tell you that the Book of Mormon is, um, so mainstream Christians don't have additional texts. Um, mm-hmm. We have the Bible. Um, and we don't have anything else we add on to it. Uh, so we don't have, um, the book of Mormon. We don't have the Pearl of great price and we, we don't have the doctrine and covenants. We don't have those things. Um, what our faith is based on is what is found in scripture in the Bible. Okay. Um, so that is a key difference because we're not studying, um, outside holy books. Um, we have one holy book. Um, and we believe uh, that the Bible is the word of God. Um, and and we don't add so long as it's been translated correctly. We don't add that to our phrasing when we're talking about um, the Bible. So Latter-day Saints will acknowledge that um, the Bible is true, but they add a caveat to that. And it says, so long as it's been translated correctly. Um, so I want to address that right now before we dive in, because I think it's really important to lay a foundation of truth when we're entering this conversation. Um, Latter-day Saints are generally told that they can't trust certain versions of the Bible because they have been mistranslated. I absolutely understand the fear of reading something that actually isn't God's word. And I think that we should definitely look at it to say, can this be true? Um, and has it been ruined by people, right? Because if we're calling something the word of God, I want it to really be the word of God. I don't want it to be something that has other people's opinions in it. Um, the good news is that, um, the Bible, uh, and its original languages we have, we don't have the original manuscripts. We have very, very far back manuscripts of scripture. And if we compare the thousands of manuscripts that we have of the Bible, we see consistency after consistency after consistency. When we're talking about errors found in the Bible, most of those errors have to do with spelling and punctuation. In fact, if you eliminate those errors, we are down to minuscule so-called errors Other good news is that in English translations, in modern English translations, if there are textual variances, it's acknowledged in the Bible itself. So it will say this did not appear in the original manuscript, which I would say is about as good as you're gonna get when it comes to a Bible translation. Uh, The fact that the people who have worked on these Bibles to make them as true as they were when they were originally written acknowledge hey that didn't happen in the original manuscript it's still worthwhile but it it didn't appear in the original um and so you should always i always tell people read the footnotes you always got to read the footnotes because there's a wealth of information in the footnotes um even in the bible um i have an interesting quote that i would like to share with you about the bible that actually came from someone in your church Um, and now I'm not going to be able to find it because, um, I'm on the spot. Okay. So in 1968, BYU present, uh, there was a BYU professor, BYU is Brigham Young University. Um, it's mostly catered to Latter-day Saints, uh, but not everybody who attends is a Latter-day Saint. Um, he said in 1963, the new Testament is 99% accurate. He acknowledged that it was written very near to the time of the events that it describes. And if there are textual variances, those are mentioned in the footnotes. Modern English translations can be trusted. The New Testament has been reliably preserved and translated from the original Greek. So that's someone from your own church who has written about the New Testament and its reliability. So I want to I acknowledge that there are that a lot of Latter-day Saints have questions about the reliability of the Bible. But I want to encourage you to do a little bit more research on that um, before you just accept that as truth. And I'm happy that you have an ESV. Um, It's one of my favorite translations, um, but it's okay to read the King James Version too. I got nothing against the King James Version. If you can understand the King James Version, keep using it. If you don't understand something, feel free. And this is me not coming from your church. So you probably need to talk to them too, but use it for clarification mm-hmm. because sometimes the King James version can be confusing. It's wordy. Yeah. So do you have I'm any questions like about Sh- any of that?
1: Um, not that I can think of um, something that's interesting is there's really not much, um, at least in my experience with this one single um. Ward that's mostly college students and also mostly converts. Um, my experience with how they kind of um go about like teaching things and talking about it, it's there's not much defense of the Bible per se. The Bible isn't the book that's being defended as true, it's the Book of Mormon, Mm -hmm. which the only truth in the Book of Mormon is in the Book of Mormon. And um (laughs) Do you struggle with that? Is that a struggle that you have? Um, I'm honestly not sure. I think for me, it's interesting as I look at it, because I've never really questioned the Bible. Um, everything else has kind of been a question. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely weird. But yeah, the Book of Mormon, The sh- there's certain things that, because um, in the footnotes of the Book of Mormon as well, it goes back to like, this is where you can find a similar thing in Doctrine and Covenants, or Pearl of Great Price, or the Bible. And it kind of just brings you back to different snippets and how it's related. But the Book of Mormon itself is a testimony of itself. It has an entire book. Um, The very last book is just like, this is the structure of the church, and this is the structure of the book, and why you should uh, believe it. And then um, there's really nothing in the Bible that says, you know, hey, there's
2: another book coming. (laughs) In fact, the Bible says the opposite, doesn't it? The Bible says 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So Mm -hmm. um, the Bible, um, the Bible is, is. I'll go back to the Book of Mormon then, because the Book of Mormon, how are you told as a church member to determine if the Book of Mormon is true?
1: Um, Which I was actually thinking about this because I need to find it because I wrote it down. Um, So the way that they mention it is one, they say it gives a testimony of Jesus coming so that that and the fact that it prophesies kind of like proves that it's religious in some sense. Mm-hmm. And then you're told um, And the reason I really thought about this is because I was um, they have like bookmarks basically that are for, um, I guess, a version of apologetics where it's like, oh, why is the Book of Mormon true? Or like, why does God let bad things happen? And it's just like a bunch of tabs that you insert and you can like highlight the verses and give it to people. And one of the tabs is how do I know the Book of Mormon is true? And it's this entire book going over everything. Um, And you're told basically to pray about it. And even in the Book of Mormon, I think it says to literally pray about it and figure out, like, Mm -hmm. what you feel is true almost. But there's also scripture in the Book of Mormon that says, like, not to trust the flesh as well, literally in the same book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that way. Um, I was trying to find what section it was that was talking about, like, not trusting the flesh, because I know it's in there, because I'm pretty sure I, like, wrote a comment about it. Um, But yeah. So So one of the things
2: that we can use to determine if something is true is history and archaeology. Those are two things, but um, that we can use to determine if something is true is history and archaeology. And so for the Bible, for instance, um, we can go back and we can find the places that are described in scripture. Have some of the names changed of those locations? Absolutely. Um, But are those places there? Yeah, they are. And, And as described. Um, and we can find um, certain locations that they talk about. And um, we can even go outside of the Bible to extra biblical sources um, written by mm-hmm. historians who were not Christ followers, who acknowledge the truth of what is contained in scripture, all right? Um, and so that is, that is another um, notch in the Bible's belt for being um, truthful. Uh, let's start at the origins of the Book of Mormon. Um, Joseph Smith wrote that uh, he, that it was written in ancient reformed Egyptian. Okay. So that's a pretty easy thing to be like, okay, ancient reformed Egyptian. It sounds right. Okay. It sounds right. (laughs)
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Not a real language. Um, And um, he, he claimed to have translated it, um, but it's not a real language. I really struggle with that personally um, mm-hmm. Because we've got historians who, who study language, who are language experts, who have um, at the bequest sometimes of your church asked for things to be verified from the Book of Mormon and they won't do it because there's not a lot of historical evidence to support the veracity, the truth claims of the Book of Mormon. And we could just start at the language, the language mm-hmm. itself um and so i mean i would encourage you after you know and it seems like you're a researcher anyway um and what better time to do that than in college i'm very excited for you but um i would encourage you to investigate that aspect of it i mean it comes down even to the drawings that he includes in the book of mormon um and uh saying that specific people are female when actually when you're looking at egyptian drawings those would have been male um so Uh, descriptions that he provides in the book of Mormon just aren't accurate to what he says they are. Um, And if he was being influenced by the Holy spirit, which is what he said he was, then did God give him inaccurate information? Um, And then that would lead you to questioning God himself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you really need to start thinking about who is God, Um, and, and I will tell you that the God of the Latter-day Saint is different than the God of mainstream Christianity. Um, uh, I, I would like to bounce that question back to you and ask you, who is God to you, Mariah? It's a good question.
1: Mm. (laughs) I feel like it's kind of my question from the start. Um, I feel like, well, who is God versus who I would like God to be (laughs) is two very different things. I feel like, um, one God is very structured um and he can't lie so that's kind of the two things um, and then also the idea I shouldn't say idea but um God is loving and not um ultimately um anger or disproving in a sense I think uh God can definitely come off that way uh but if you also think about it you know parents come off that way yeah, you know you're gonna yell to your old kid <laughs> if they're not like if your kids running out into the street you're gonna scream at them yeah. and, it, and it's not because you're angry or like whatever it's because you're terrified and you're like mm-hmm. don't run into the street and I need to get your attention now mm-hmm. so it has to be like abrupt and almost come off as mean um so I think that that's how God can come off a lot but it's not coming out of a place of like oh I'm doing it just to do it. It's a place of, you know, I love you and I want the best for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way that it's put up for the LDS church, it's um, I don't know, (laughs) same with the idea of like a loving father, I think Um, what I thought was really interesting and nobody's really commented on it. um, But one woman just came back from her mission and she's very adamant about, um, I have a godly father father and a godly mother, and nobody's, like, really commented mm-hmm. on, like, what she's talking about. Um, nobody, like, necessarily disproves her, and that's the thing, too. I've noticed a lot of people, if they don't agree with your view of something, they won't um, tell you you're wrong. It'll just immediately be like, okay, and then like never talked about again. Um, and that's kind of same with like if you're questioning something, it's um kind of like, oh, we'll just pray about it. Um, or even the Book of Mormon. Whoops, <laughs> if they're saying, Oh, that's not true, it's like, well, it's based in the Bible and then pray about it. Um, I know that there's two temple trips coming up. There's one this weekend and one next weekend, because um the closest temple to here is Spokane. So after like the next two weeks, it's getting renovated or something. So can't go for months on end and I'm not going this weekend because I have things to do um (laughs) and I'm also not going next weekend because I don't really want to but haven't really gotten a response on that one because one of my friends asked if I was going and basically he was like oh were you going and I didn't really want to because I was talking to Janelle about this like after we logged off last week basically um, I haven't I've gone to church like once in the last five weeks so already I've kind of like not really been going hmm. um I went to the temple once it was strange do you have I, a temple I, recommend um, uh I do yeah mm-hmm. I do have a current one um which even that was kind what of does a temple it, recommend what does that mean it's a little card I think I think it's downstairs never mind it's <laughs> it's um this little card and basically in order to go to the temple you have to be good enough um and same with being baptized there's this whole interview process um you have to be following the 10 commandments and uh you can lie um not not saying you should lie um i just want to backtrack a bit (laughs) um (laughs) um, and that's also the same with uh, temple recommend which is really interesting um Essentially, you go through these questions of: Are you following the Ten Commandments? So, um, are Who you? Who is the interview with? Um, for me, for the temple recommend, it was with the bishop. Mm-hmm. For the baptism, I think I met with the stake president. president. That would be. It was, mm-hmm. yeah. I've never seen him before or since, but um, and it was kind of very similar questions. Um, basically, you have to be like: Do you believe in the church? Do you believe in? uh, the book of Mormon, do you believe in the prophet? And then it starts to go down of like, um, are you willing to pay tithing, which is, um, instead of like just donating your money, it's kind of like an automatic thing where you, um, are giving 10% of your income to the church. And I've talked to some people and some people do like 10% of their taxable income. Some people do 10% of everything that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of, if <clears throat> you're asked, if you're obeying the word of wisdom, which is what I mentioned last week, cause I was literally drinking tea. Um, <laughs> so uh which is the idea of um like substances and Mm -hmm. stuff like that which kind of goes back to I don't I don't fully understand the tea and coffee thing but I've had it explained to me so many times doesn't really make sense whatever um you're asked about that you're asked about um if you've participated in an abortion you're asked if you've ever um done anything with anyone of the same sex you're asked if you're uh obeying the law of chastity um Mariah can I ask I you real it. quick because you, you yeah. know
0: you've been on this podcast you've shared you yeah. had a girlfriend did you yeah. confess that and did you I did talk about it yeah and did it that was like, change anything for them
1: um if I had said that I would consider being in a relationship again it I wouldn't have been able to get baptized mm-hmm. um and same with the temple recommends um it's And then at the very end of the thing that's kind of different between baptism and Temple Recommend is for baptism, once you like answer those questions, it's like, cool, you can do it. For a Temple Recommend, once you answer those questions, the last question you have to answer is, are you worthy of a Temple Recommend? Which a lot of people struggle with because it's this idea of, are you really worthy of anything? Because it's kind of pushed from the church that you have to do all these things to be worthy. Um, And then... To get the temple recommend which is literally just a piece of paper that they don't even laminate it they give you this little like card holder slip um it's a piece of paper that you sign in your bishop signs and it on the front it says um the church of jesus Christ of Latter-day saints and then it's basically whatever type of temple recommend you have because there's a regular temple man recommend which i have because i haven't been in the church for more than a year and i haven't been endowed um which is another ceremony thing which apparently i know too much about but research don't we all don't um, we all <laughs> i have no um, idea what you guys are talking about I'm
2: like wow this is really this is complicated we should probably, we should probably not talk about the endowment um, the endowment, um mm-hmm. just out of the i'm not going to talk about it but it's for just another uh yeah it's
1: another um thing that you do in the temple um if you're converting you can only do it once you've converted for a year I think you're not allowed to do it for 18 um, and then you have to do it and then you have to do it before you go on a mission
2: mm-hmm.
1: so it's just kind of like another process and that's more of like the
2: adult process I think. It but- it, it results in your visit into the celestial room Janelle so okay. um, every temple has um let's clarify temple versus ward um ward is like your everyday church that a Latter-day Saint will attend on Sunday um where a temple is a, is what you're imagining right the the pretty buildings made of marble and stone that are surrounded by beautiful grassy knolls and usually a lovely fence um and uh, it's kind of mysterious because you see people coming in and, and, and going in. You have in to be extra and- special
0: to go in. Now yeah, I'm trying to put all the pieces together.
1: So you don't find out. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's yeah. something too, is there's a lot of like hidden shame in a sense, because like I said, it's all based on your word. So if I were to have somebody go to my bishop and be like, oh, Mariah's doing this, like she's drinking tea and she's like going out on the weekends then my bishop would just have a meeting with me and be like well you're lying so why'd you do that but if nobody were to go up and tell him that I can say whatever I want and so a lot of it is based on like saying the right things and you know that you have to say the right things which if you know that you're not doing it is a lot of internalized shame Mm
2: -hmm.
1: so there's a lot of that that kind of breaks down in people too.
2: I'm sorry that there's shame. There should be no shame. I,
1: I I'm fine. I I think <laughs> I think it's worse for people that grew up in it. I feel like, like for me, I, I don't feel any shame with it. But that's also kind of like my. <laughs> I'm just seeing Janelle's face. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's kind of my like. I don't feel bad when I drink tea, um, or like go out on a weekend because I feel like that's just part of. One, it's I'm in college. <laughs> um, and two, for me, I don't understand that. Um, like prophesying, I guess. And for my experience, too, is everyone that I've witnessed in the church likes to pick and choose what they like to follow. So I don't feel guilty not following things. Or like when I talk to people about specifically to um like the coffee thing, uh, we're allowed to drink energy drinks. It says nothing about energy drinks. So a bunch of people will drink energy drinks or they'll say, you know, if I'm really tired and driving home, I'm allowed to drink
2: coffee or whatever because
1: I need the caffeine. You can drink
2: Pepsi, but you can't drink Coke, I think. Um, I have no idea, but I haven't heard anything about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah. so Um, just little things like that. I'm like, I don't necessarily see the validity of that or like necessarily feeling bad about it I don't know but I know that that's kind of the overall experience and that's what happens when you have
2: structures like that I'm
0: still stuck on the piece of paper that you need to go to the temple I'm just yeah um
2: yeah the the so if you've heard about the undergarments that latter-day saints wear that was really popular to talk about those when Mitt Romney was running for president um he is a Latter-day Saint, a very devout Latter-day Saint. Um, but um, that conversation came up. You acquire those during your endowment. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a moment. It's uh, other things that occur in a temple are baptism of the dead. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Mariah, can you participate in that now that you've been baptized? Yeah, I so, really
1: like it personally. So but- have you done it? I have. It was, I'm not really a fan. Can you? Um, Well, I'm also not a fan of, like, the history of it, but, like, I didn't bring any family names, because that's something, too, is there's a lot of, like, family, because the idea is, like, oh, your ancestors, and when you do a baptism for the dead, you're not forcing them into baptism, but you're acting as, like, a human vessel for a baptism, so that you're, like, getting baptized on earth in their name, and they can accept that later, Mm -hmm. because the idea is you can only get you can only get baptized on earth but if you never had the chance to learn about this in life you won't be punished mm-hmm. but you also need someone on earth to baptize you
2: mm-hmm.
1: so it kind of like runs around but i never brought a name i'm i'm not going to bring name i i i don't know something about that just feels
2: gross to me but no. okay so so janelle what they do is they get they usually will have a list of names sometimes you'll be baptized 10 times in a row. Right. And so they will, you will go into the font and, um, and, and this is pretty well known. I think, I don't think this is like LDS secrets, um, but yeah. it, it occurs. in the, the huh? It's all on the website. Yeah. And all of pictures. my information comes from LDS.org. So anything that I say, feel free to research it um, because it yeah. will come from there. Um, but, Um, They will baptize multiple people so that if they are in one of the levels of heaven, which I doubt we're going to talk about today, they can ascend because they can make that choice um, as as because they've been baptized here on earth through Mariah, for example, Um, the history, the bad history that she's might what, what bad history are you referring to Mariah, I don't want to put words in your mouth.
1: Um, Well, the church does have a history of baptizing a lot of um, people from different religions, especially um, people, the very specific one that I think of that upsets me the most, and I think is very upsetting for a lot of people, is the church has baptized Anne Frank multiple times and other Holocaust survivors, which is very disrespectful And this is also where I don't feel comfortable, like, bringing names of anyone, really. I feel like it's very disrespectful to kind of, like, it's not, you don't, they don't have to accept the baptism, but the fact that you're doing it is directly disrespecting their beliefs as a person. So I don't feel good about that. And just things like that.
2: So the other, the other activities that happen, Janelle, in a temple are ceilings. Um, S-E-A-L-I-N-G. Uh, they seal families together. So if you've ever been invited to a Latter-day Saint wedding, that means you're a Latter-day Saint. If you're not invited, then you're not uh, because you can't go into the temple because you don't have your little card, right? So if you are a Latter-day Saint, um, you can attend a sealing, a marital sealing of um, a couple who's getting sealed in a temple, um, and then typically what they'll do is they'll have some sort of reception outside of the temple so that non LDS members can attend um, and, and celebrate with them. Families are also sealed together. Um, and so once you start to have children, the families are sealed um, in the temple with their parents. Now, the idea is that once you are sealed in eternity, you will be together forever. Um, and that is why this question of who God is, is so important because um, for a mainstream Christian, um, God is unchanging and eternal, right? And um, he is not physical. Um, and in Isaiah forty three ten, 10, sa- he says, before me, there, there has been no God that was formed and none will be after me. But what the ceilings do is it allows you to be a God um, and to eventually, um have your own you are heavenly father and heavenly mother, which is why there is this thought that God has a life um, and that there is a heavenly mother that Mariah brought up earlier. Um, mm-hmm. And, and for, for LDS members, um, God is actually a physical being. And Joseph Smith in this in this really famous sermon called the Follette Sermon, um, said that God is just an exalted man and that we can be like he is. Um, and so that means that God was exalted and became God. He was once a man, uh, but he did all the right things to kind of use Mariah's language and was able to be exalted into the Godhood. Um, and so he is a God and has a heavenly, mo- there is a heavenly mother, a wife, at least one wife, um, potentially multiples. Um, we're not getting into that though. And then all of his children are those of us who inhabit the earth. Um, and so sometimes, Latter-day Saints are accused of being polytheists, which is believing in multiple gods. Um, I want to kind of clarify that because there's a nuance that is really important when we're talking about how the Latter-day Saints view God. Um, they believe in one God. Okay. The God of this planet, we are his heavenly children. Um, uh, Jesus is one of his heavenly children. Um, and so, um, Jesus, when he died, actually became exalted and became a God. Okay. Um, we can be like God, um, in that if we are doing all of the right things, which starts with believing that Jesus died for us, but that's not where it ends. If we do all the right things, then we too can be exalted, but there are certain requirements. For example, one of the things is that you have to be married. So Mm -hmm. Paul could not be exalted as a God, even though Paul wrote a substantial part of the New Testament and and the scriptures that we read, uh, because Paul was not married.
0: Real quick, uh, I mean, I have lots of questions that I want to <laughs> interject real quick here. Yes. Um, I, I know, I mean, I have friends who are Mormon, uh, or I'm sorry, LDS, yeah. and uh, one of them is, you know, a, a woman who's getting up there in age, and she's single, she's not married. Uh, What hope is there for her in the LDS faith? Because I've heard like on the outskirts looking in that it's a really rough uh, faith for somebody who is single and married or a a single female. Is that true? Is there there's consequences to being single? It sounds like there is Nodding your head.
2: Mariah, do you want to answer that question? Do you know the answer to that question? Um, I feel like for me, it's something
1: that isn't as stressed as much because majority of us aren't married (laughs) um but that's why there's a young singles ward it's for all of the unmarried people to be in one building to find people to marry um essentially there's no other reason for that split for the most part um once you get married you're expected to go to a family ward um so there are and this is also where i was like you know it's more comfortable for me because it's all college students um because it's a young singles word which aims once you're 18 you're you have a choice you don't have to go but it's encouraged because you're around people your own age um and you get that community and then also you can find someone else in the church to marry um because you can only get sealed to someone who's part of the church um and that's typically what is expected to like be able to do all those things which even and I, as i was thinking I've asked multiple questions about ceilings and everyone's like, well, that's a God thing. There's no answer for that, which is really a frustrating answer that people love to say, which is another thing. Um, But the idea of, um, I feel like I lost my question. (laughs) Oh, the idea that if you're sealed, you're together forever, which would imply that all of us are going to the same place no matter what we do because we've been sealed which isn't the belief, it's the belief of each individual has their own responsibility to get where they're going. But then there's also the belief that if we're sealed, we're going to be together forever, no matter what, which should imply that if one person does all of these things, cool, they can go over here and another person doesn't do the same things. Well, they're together forever. So where are they going to go? Because they have to be together, but they both like earned to be different places. So then there's like little nuances like that. And when you point them out, you're told, well, we don't understand it because God's knowledge is above ours and he has the knowledge of that. So. And that's something that I think is a bit different about um, I can not say different. I haven't met too many apologists for like different um, religions, but I think that's what's different about LDS specifically is that is the biggest um. <laughs> explanation or like caveat is oh pray about it um god can give you answers and god has the answers but he can't give them to us now necessarily because it's definitely a lot of back and forth because you're told if you pray about it you'll get an answer but we don't know the answer because that's god god's answer and it's like well if you pray about it and you get an answer then why don't you have one to tell me so
2: so would you say that you're not alone in the confusion are yeah, there a lot of sure. I young think, people oh for sure and the
1: uh even cooler part about that is a lot of the missionaries no idea <laughs> um because these people well there's two types of missionaries there's the ones that are like my age um you can either go to college first um go midway through college or um ride right out of high school and i think the cap is basically like 24 or something mm-hmm. like that um they don't want you to be too old. And then there's also um, elderly couples that you can go on a mission um, once you're retired as a couple um, and serve. And those are slightly different. Um, They're usually longer. Um, I love the couple that we have here. They're like the sweetest people ever. (laughs) Um, But so the missionaries that typically talk to people and I would say are like out contacting people and like recruiting for lack of a better word, tend to be the younger ones which they go to a training that if they're going to a country or an area where they're speaking another language, they only get taught that language officially for like three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- most of the time they can barely commu- communicate in whatever language they're supposed to, unless they already have a fluent basis, they're learning as they're there. Um, and then within those couple weeks, it's usually only like a month Um, is when they're like really learning about what they're supposed to be teaching people and you're growing your personal testimony um, which Micah kind of explained a bit it's all very personal experiences and that's the purpose and the only thing that they really teach you when they're teaching you this other language is how to say your testimony in that other language and then it's kind of that everything else you'll figure it out Um, so already the people that they're kind of sending out to these year and a half, two year missions to like preach, they're not really teaching them. You know, I've been, for my experience personally, and I think things would have been a lot differently if it wasn't like this. I wasn't told a lot of things. Um, I don't think that they meant any ill will with that. I think they were just so used to the information because both of them had grown up in the church that they just didn't think to tell me. Because for them, it's such ingrained knowledge about how they were raised that you, it's just kind of known about versus I didn't know that until I was getting baptized, basically. (laughs) So it's little things like that. Um, Either they don't think to tell you because they're used to it or they just don't know. I know um, one of my friends was in a meeting with them and just kind of asking about fasting and asked, you know, if I'm fasting, can I drink water? And the two elders, which are the male missionaries, sitting there at the same time, one said yes and one said no. And then they just kind of looked at each other and then it was a conversation. But even just little nuances like that, it's very personal for the missionaries going out. um, And it stems kind of from personal understanding. So how your family does it, that's how things have been explained to me, like with tithing. Um, People will be like, oh, well, this is how my family does it or like how I was kind of taught. So a lot of it is... um, in those connections um, of friends and family and not necessarily in connections of like, this is what's written and this is what we're doing. And that might just be the age group or it might just be kind of like how it always is, but that's been my experience of things.
2: I think this is really important for mainstream Christians to understand. Um, And I think I'm really glad that you brought it up that most LDS missionaries who come to your door don't know the ins and outs of <laughs> the Latter-day Saint faith.
1: Um, yeah.
2: And they are they are truly learning themselves. Um, the mission is as much for them as it is for the people that they are evangelizing. Um, and so I think when we have missionaries who come to our door, we tend to say, um, well, there are some people who actually open the door and have a conversation. And for those of us who do that, um, we get really excited about kind of, speaking truth in the lives of those missionaries, Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that they don't have any foundation of why you would be saying those things, uh, because Mm -hmm. they haven't encountered um, a lot of what we know. Um, It's it's very odd, because um, I had an LDS friend in our house and, uh, he, I'm, I'm very open about what I do for a living and it's not really a living it's ministry, but what I do for, you know, this calling in my life. And, um, I have an entire bookshelf dedicated to world religion. Um, I actually have a, a couple of them now, but, um, he said, I think, you know, more about my faith than I do. Um, and he'd been on a mission and he'd been, um, and he, he does kind of what you did. He's a little bit self-deprecating. He's like, I'm a bad, um, member of the church. Um, and, uh, and says things like that. Um, but my concern when I hear that is a lot of your faith, um, hinges on a lot of your salvation hinges on your behavior mm-hmm. in the Latter-day Saints. Um, and that is probably one of the, there are a lot of differences between mainstream Christianity and Latter-day Saints, but I think our view of salvation is is where this conversation needs to, is, is really where we need to, like, I know I'm looking at the time and I'm like, I would talk to you for like eight hours, Mm -hmm. but I know you've got class, but, um, this idea of, um, salvation. And, um, I want to go there because I think we would be remiss if we did not talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, Latter-day Saints believe that Jesus gets you, um, the resurrection. Okay. So he, he died, and he was resurrected. Um, and, and that's for you. You congratulations, you have the resurrection. You don't need to be, you don't need to die now. Um, you can be, you've got that. But then they say you are saved by grace after all that you can do. And I'm sure so, you-
1: I have no idea if you can see it.
2: Yeah, probably not. This is the plan
1: of salvation that they teach you. <laughs>
2: you do you want to quickly like 30 seconds walk me through it?
1: Okay, so. Um, and this is where I like have tabs because which is interesting. Um, another conversation. But anyways, uh, so it's probably written in here somewhere where it said like um don't believe whatever. I probably wrote it in a tab, but mm-hmm. I have a whole system for reading that because it's which is interesting because it's like I pick a part to see if it's truthful more than I do the Bible. But anyways, okay, so in this little and you can see the idea is that God is loving. So it spells out love. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you have premarital life and that's kind of where you start. So you're a kid, um, you're not, or that's pre-mortal oh, life, pre-mortal. sorry, immortal. I read it mm-hmm. wrong. Okay. Um. So this is before you're even on earth, which the whole idea that also really kind of loops people in is the only way that you can be immortal on this earth is if you chose God first. Correct. So they teach that there was a war in heaven and basically the split of um, we're either following God or we're not. And the only people that are able to be on this earth were people that already chose God. Jesus and so did this the- by the way.
2: Jesus yeah. had a premortal existence, according to the Latter-day Saints, and went to his heavenly father and said, send me, I'm willing to go. Um, and so um, according to the Latter-day Saint um, philosophy, uh, Jesus was one of those beings who came down um because he chose to do that um during his pre-mortal existence okay go ahead yeah so we
1: all chose to be here and that's kind of how they rope you again because mm-hmm. so they're like well you chose it once so why not again mm-hmm. um so you choose to be here and then you have your birth which is the down and then they shape into l and then this is earth so you have your time on earth um, and then they also drew Jesus was there. Um <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you kind of go over a bit and then you have death, which you go down. So that kind of makes the V. Yep. Um and then after that, there's um the idea of prison and paradise, which um is kind of uh the way that it was described to me is uh teachers and students. So the people that understand this plan of salvation are expected to kind of like teach it mm-hmm. to the people in prison and the people mm-hmm. teaching are kind of the people in paradise. This is after
2: like, death, Janelle. There are yeah. teachers who have been called to serve those who are in prison after death to teach them about salvation. I'm just clarifying. because all,
0: of- I know. Well, all respect to the Mormon or the LDS, LDS church. But Mariah, why didn't you go to that church that my
1: friend invited
2: you to? I don't keep going oh God, I, actually, Super complicated.
1: I, I actually thought of um reaching out to one of my friends that goes there but i haven't said it yet anyway okay. um and then next <laughs> after you have like the paradise and prison mm-hmm. you have resurrection and then you have the day of judgment mm-hmm. and then you're sent to one of the three kingdoms mm-hmm. or you're sent off into nothing I didn't it
2: nothing yeah
1: nothingness essentially mm-hmm. um yeah, so that's it, and it can spell out love. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of. Can I? Cute, I guess I just <laughs> want to
0: interrupt real quick. So yeah. I think when we were talking with Micah, which again that won't air until after this episode, so it'll be really interesting. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, one of the things I confessed to him on here, I said, you know, I, I remember growing up, there was a Mormon that would sit right behind me in geometry class, and his name was Jeremy. I think we would get into these arguments. And I would mm-hmm. feel like this angry, like visceral, like, this is a lie. Um, and I told uh, Micah, you know, like, tell me how to like, you know, resp- t- talk to the listener who's listening right now, who's a Christian, how to respond and love and all these different things. And he did. He was great. And, you know, I apologized for all that. But I, I have to say right now in my spirit, listening to all of this, I'm like, this is so, I've listened to my friends as I've gotten older, who've told me Mormonism, or LDS, is so, um, it's Christianity. It's the same thing. But listening to all of this, to me, it's so different. It's so different. It is not. And it it makes me, I think the fact that it's um, packaged as Christianity is what makes me so inside. There's... um, It feels like this righteous anger that wells up, and I don't want to be arrogant about that. I want to just confess that right now—that's what I feel hearing all of this. I'm looking at. I mean, the stakes are high. (laughs) The stakes are high, Janelle. Like
2: this is this is salvation and eternity. Well, and Mariah and I
0: talked back in June. You know, and we talked a lot about the Lord, and we talked about all these things, and this feels so so like a perversion of the truth that is what i'm feeling in my
1: spirit so uh, oh it's so funny because when i actually was reading the bible like micah told me to i got mad about it too so so (laughs) lindsey is why i say it's funny because i feel like my perspectives even as i talk about are changing and i'm like looking because i have all of my notes of like i basically wrote like chapter summaries of this is what it said and then like the what it was supposed to mean and one of the first things i found was i can't find whatever whatever um, but it's somewhere in Alma 39, if anyone wanted to look, um, and it's towards like verse 15 and something that I wrote, um, which I mentioned, um, basically paraphrasing was many things are only known by God himself. Um, so that's something that's taught too. Mm-hmm. So like, it kind of is pushing back to all of your, uh, questions or doubts It's well. Only God knows. And that's, and I found a couple of sticky notes that I have like that of just like, what this says well, so.
0: mariah when i as a kid was learning the salvation plan right
1: mm-hmm.
0: it looks like this like you're over here god's over here and there's a cross in the middle and it's jesus we're going to talk more about that next week but lindsey <laughs> i
2: wrap it up yes. with a quote yes help me okay. out okay so mariah yes. we know who brigham young is yep yeah okay So there is a lady who is the great, great granddaughter of Brigham Young. Her name is Sandra Tanner. She is still alive. She lives in Utah, um, but she is not a Latter-day Saint. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so she was asked how to explain salvation in terms of what Latter-day Saints believe. And Mm -hmm. um, this is what she wrote, which I have to find it now. She uses the word Mormons she said this back in the day. So Mormons <laughs> believe we were all born as spirit children of heavenly father. And so Jesus is our older brother, but Christ's atonement alone is not sufficient. Mormons believe their salvation is completed only with the addition of Mormon ordinance ordinances, Mormon gospel and Mormon temple ritual. Now, Mariah, I need to tell you that this is contradictory to what the Bible says. Um, the Bible, and I'm going to read from the King James Version um, so that you're hearing it from the version that your church finds acceptable the most. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Galatians 2, 21 says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ in dead is vain. Oh, is dead in vain. Romans eleven six says, And if by grace, then it is. Then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. And finally, 2 Timothy 1, 8 says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So works as a mainstream Christian are a natural outpouring of our faith. They are not required for our salvation. And that is a huge difference than what Latter-day Saint Orthodoxy says. Um, and and what what they believe. Um, And and you unfortunately will never be enough. You will constantly be (laughs) striving. You'll have to save up a year's worth of food. Eventually when you marry and you're sealed in the temple, you're gonna have to do that. You're gonna have to be probably a stay at home mom and give up your career. You're gonna have to serve um, the elders that serve at your church. You're gonna have to be part of the women's ministry. You're gonna have to cook food for all of the leaders of your church, It's because that's what the church is telling you to do, because that's how you're saved. But I'm here to tell you that that is not what the Bible says. That's not what the word of God says. The word of God says that it's by your grace that you are saved. Jesus has already done the work. We don't have to work out our salvation because Jesus did it for us. Jesus came. He is God. He was fully God and fully human. And he came down to earth so that he could sacrifice himself on a cross. He died a terrible death, a terrible death. Medical doctors have said that ridiculous, terrible, like bad. Okay. And he did it so that we wouldn't have to endure that. Then he rose again three days later and ascended to the father waiting for us, preparing it for us, preparing heaven for us, not the three levels of heaven, but heaven with God, the father, right? So I want you to know that it is by grace that you are saved. Nothing that you can do can save you. Just like nothing that you can do can damn you unless you blaspheme the Holy Spirit and tell God that he doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, I was hearing that yesterday. And I was
2: like, wow.
0: Wow. <laughs> uh, well, my head is spinning. I know now a lot more about the LDS faith than I, I ever knew before. And I thought I knew a few things. Um, Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing with us and just... Um, I'm just so thankful for your ministry and for your heart. You know, last night you just emailing me questions and uh, sharing about your research and stuff. I know that you care a lot about uh, these conversations. And um, I know for those not familiar with apologetics, one of the things that I think is so beautiful is you're defending uh, the truth of your faith um, and, and my faith as well, but you're doing it in a way that's loving and um, respectful, just as um, it talks about in the Bible to do so. And, and I just really appreciate um, you. Before we wrap up here, um, I always ask the, the same final question. Um, and that's, uh, I always try to, you know, surprise people with it, but you've heard it before. Um, the Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Um, of those four gifts that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ and there's plenty more, but it, it's a great acronym, Restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Which of those stands out to you the most in your life right now and why?
2: I think authenticity is probably the one that's most prevalent in my mind right now because um, he doesn't leave us with questions. Um, we can have questions, but he answers them. Um, and and we're not left wondering, um, whether he was real atheists acknowledge that Jesus lived. Um, and so we know that Jesus lived. Um, and as Christians, we believe, uh, that he died and he was resurrected. Um, and we have the testimonies of all of the disciples and, and those who followed him hundreds who saw him after he died alive. And, um, Jesus approached people with This authenticity, it was an authentic love. If I can steal two, it was an authentic love where he truly just loved people and he loved them well and he met them where they were in their authentic selves, whatever that was, whatever muddiness and murkiness that existed in their lives, he met them and he loved them. Um, And he was true to himself to the very end and has been true um, to us. Um, He is truth. Um, And um, so I think authenticity is a really, really important one when we're considering, um, not just this conversation, but our own relationships with, with Jesus and with others. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, Mariah, any final words for Lindsay before we say goodbye here?
1: Um, thank you for being willing to talk to me. Um, and for respecting the church. I think that's something that kind of doesn't happen a lot. I think I was, um, a bit shocked that you, um, honestly respected the prophets words more than a lot of people within the church do, um, which I think also says a lot, but yeah, <laughs> just thanks for being willing to have a conversation, um, and
2: to talk about it. I'm going to be praying for you. And like I said, my door's open. Let me know if you ever want to chat some more, not on a recording just one-on-one and we can talk about literally anything.
0: I love that until next time. Thank you for listening to the finding something real podcast friend this season. We are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then Invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences, and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all, at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus. I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with him. Until next time.